We're continuing in our series in the book of Acts, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Acts is a record of the history of the early church, the spread of the gospel, as well as the persecution and the difficulties that came against the people as they served Jesus. The church grew, it spread rapidly as they focused on the gospel and they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they began to function together as the people of God. I think this is the big idea of the book of Acts. I think the Holy Spirit empowers believers and churches to live for the glory of God, to share the good news about Jesus, and to advance the kingdom of God. We're considering Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 to 47 in parts. The early believers are said to have devoted themselves to four practices in their life together. The teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and then prayer, which is our emphasis today. We last emphasized what it means to be devoted to the breaking of bread. And the early church came together regularly for those common meals like we would do, but then they would add the Lord's Supper along with it as they broke bread together, both in a general sense and a specific sense of the Lord's Supper. And as we've already mentioned, it's a look back, it's a look within, it's a look around, and it's a look ahead. We come now to the subject of prayer. Now, I recognize that prayer is a struggle for many people. And how we should pray, what we ought to pray for, how we might know if our prayers are answered are all important issues. It's important to note that in the Bible, there are at least 600 references to prayer. In those 600 references to prayer, they are coupled with 450 answers to those prayers that were lifted up to God. So it's safe to say that the Bible has a lot to say about prayer and the characteristics of prayer. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The translation here is literally, they were continually devoting themselves to the prayers. Devoted is also translated as continued steadfastly. So they were devoting themselves in earnestness toward God, and the words prayer, prayers, prayed, praying, or pray are found 29 times in Acts. The early church was permeated with prayer and the practice of it. And it's in the context here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, primarily of corporate prayer when the church meets, but it started with those smaller gatherings when the people were coming together around the breaking of bread, they were worshiping, and they were striking in their attention to prayer. Luke makes it clear that prayer is essential to the Christian life. So I want to ask and answer these questions by way of introduction. What is prayer? Well, prayer by definition is talking to God and listening to God through his word and his spirit. Someone described prayer as a conversation with God. Prayer is designed by God for relationship. You and I were designed to be in a relationship with God and to commune with him, to know him, and prayer is part of that. God created us and designed us so that we could commune with him in prayer. So we pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
This prayer requires faith because we pray believing that God cares, God hears, and God answers when we come to him. Prayer is work because we are brought into the presence of God. We see our undoneness and our great need for him. We grow in our sanctification. We grow in our refinement, but that is sometimes painful. Just as the pruning process is painful, the refining process can be painful, and prayer brings us to that. Prayer is practical, and there are ways of praying that are shown to us in Scripture that we'll consider as we move along here in this message. And then prayer is powerful because God is powerful. There is no magic formula in prayer, but we exercise faith that God will answer our prayers for His glory and for our good. And then what are the categories of prayer? What are the categories of prayer? Prayer is practiced regularly by focusing on some main categories and one framework that has been used through the years by Christians, uh, English-speaking Christians in particular, is the acrostic acts. The A stands for adoration, meaning that we come to God praising Him for who He is and what He has done. This is the only way to approach God the Father, is to come to Him in humility, to approach him with praise and adoration for who he is. And a good way to do this and a good way to practice it is to apply the Psalms to your prayer life. If you've not prayed very much or you've not prayed very consistently and you want to learn how, you can go to the Psalms because they are a school of prayer. And you can take those Psalms and you can pray that scripture back to God and you can see how it relates to your walk with him. That's adoration. The C is for confession. That's admitting our sin and living a repentant life. Of course, we repent and we believe when we come to salvation, but then we're to live a repentant life because we all struggle with sin as long as we're in the flesh. And God is continually shaping us and sanctifying us to be more like his son. So we're asking him uh, to forgive us of our sins so that there's nothing that hinders our relationship or our fellowship with him. The T stands for thanksgiving. And it's gratitude to God for all that he's done. It's counting your blessings and naming them back to God and being thankful for what he's done. The S is for supplication. Supplication covers the broader category of praying for our own needs as well as the needs of others and praying for God's kingdom to go forth. So you can remember that Acts acrostic, apply that as a basic framework, especially if you're learning to pray and you're wanting to apply biblical principles to your prayer and God will help you in guiding you in it and then what are the reasons people do not pray what are the reasons people do not pray well let me suggest just a few one is doubt we sometimes lack confidence that God hears he cares and he will answer doubt creeps into all of our lives and the Bible says that anything that is not done from faith is sin so if we're praying doubting we're not going to receive an answer to our prayers. Uh, God is going to work in us to bring us along, to show us the way. But we've got to be careful about doubt because we ought to pray believing in whatever we're praying. I think distraction is another issue where people just say, oh, I don't have time to pray. You don't understand how busy I am. I'm getting the kids out the door and I've got to get to my job and I've got these daily responsibilities and I simply don't have time to pray. If you say that you don't have time to pray, what you do not understand is that you don't have time not to pray. This is 
of central importance to your Christian life, to your spiritual walk with God. Ask the Lord to give you a desire uh, to pray to him and to cut out those distractions because sometimes the desire is not there either where either you're not saved or you're not spirit-filled with a desire to pray. And then finally, discouragement can creep in because of your past. You might think God's not going to hear or answer or you've not had a prayer answered that you prayed maybe even for an extended period of time and you're discouraged because you think that prayer is not effective and all those things can keep you back. So I want to consider in this message today, I want you to consider in this message this question. What is the condition of my prayer life? What is the condition of your prayer life? Now, only you and the Holy Spirit know that. And this is not to lay a heavy burden on you. It's not to lay a guilt trip on you. It's to show you the way that God has designed for you as his child, as a part of his family, to commune with him. And I want to encourage you in that, that if, if you're not walking with the Lord as you should, if you're not deep in your prayer life as you should be, if you're not growing in it, in your effectiveness as time goes along, then I want to help you know how to do that. And I, just as I mentioned about giving earlier, you've got to start somewhere. Same way with prayer. You've got to start somewhere. So maybe today's your opportunity to start if you're not praying consistently. So let's consider four aspects of prayer. And the first is this. Devotion to prayer is anchored in dependence. It's anchored in dependence. We are dependent on God for everything. And sometimes we get caught up in this mentality that we are self-made people or we're under this illusion that we're self-sufficient and we're strong. When in reality, we are fully dependent on God for everything. Adrian Rogers used to say that everybody's just a blood vessel away from eternity. And there's so much truth to that. The very fact that we're here today breathing and we have the help that we have to be able to gather together like we are. Things can change in an instant. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not even guaranteed this evening. So we want to make the most of the time that we have and understand our sense of dependence on God. There were two Christian university professors that had an unusual assignment for their students over a long break. They told their students while they were on break to take a long, good look at their belly button. Now, here's what they said. They explained, nothing is quite as revealing as your belly button. By noting that we are creations of God, the Bible tells us that we have life as a gift. We are created, not manufactured. Someone even changed our diapers, and our first hint of grace must have been that. Our parents are a visible, ever-present reminder that the significance of our lives is not exclusively self-derived. And your belly button reminds you of your creator and redeemer from whom you have life, meaning, and purpose. I think about the Psalms. The psalmist provide uh, insight into the different aspects of life in which we're dependent on God. Think about some of the phrases that are there that point us to the Lord. He's the horn of my salvation. He's the God who saves me from my enemies. He's my rock and he's my refuge. He's my light and my salvation. He's my hiding place and my rest. He's the one who bears my burdens and he's the one who gives me a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. 
God is my strength and my song. He's the one who loves me unfailingly. And God is the stronghold of my life. I believe that Jesus is the perfect example of dependence in prayer. He never missed an opportunity to pray. He knew how to depend on God the Father in prayer. And I think the most moving example in the scripture of the prayer life of Jesus is found in the Garden of Gethsemane. He experienced severe anguish and he realized that he was bearing the weight of the sins of the world on himself. That he was bearing the wrath of God upon all of that sin on himself. And he prayed. He trusted in the will of God the Father. And he said, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But in doing so, he trusted in the direction of the Father because he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He relied on the protection of God the Father when he said, watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. And then he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, all of us could give testimony to the weakness of the flesh. Our flesh, even as redeemed people, gives us all kinds of trouble. I believe that Romans chapter 7 is a description of that struggle in the flesh that the Apostle Paul gives. And there's been a debate through the years. Was Paul talking about the redeemed life or before before he came to faith in Christ in Romans chapter 7? I think the answer is yes. I think he's speaking of that struggle before he was saved, as well as the struggle and the reality of living in the flesh in the here and now. And we experience the same thing. The best way to cultivate your prayer life is through an awareness of dependence on God. And I love the song, I can't even walk without you holding my hand, because it's so true. And you may have heard that prayer changes things, and it's true, but maybe not for the same reasons that people think. Prayer changes things because it changes us from self-reliance to a dependence on God. And when we shift our focus from a self-reliance to a dependence on God, then God works in our lives. He changes us, and then he changes our circumstances. But prayer is going to change you before it changes your circumstances. Because in it, you're humbling yourself before God, and you're understanding that he cares about you, and he will help you. Devotion to prayer is anchored in dependence. And then second, the second aspect is that devotion to prayer is communicated in declaration. In prayer, we declare our dependence on God and our needs. Prayer, in part, is asking God for something, whether it's for ourselves or for someone else. But let me give you a word of warning and caution here to make it clear what the declaration of our needs to God is not. You might have heard the unbiblical teaching, the unbiblical phrase of decreeing and declaring. And it's connected to prayer. So the idea is that you can decree or you can declare something in prayer, meaning that you can speak it into existence. This, of course, comes from the Pentecostal and charismatic movement. The idea is that you just have enough faith, you can declare something, you can speak it into existence, and you can bring it about. The prosperity gospel teacher Kenneth Hagin said, you can have whatever you say, you always get in your life what you believe for and what you say. Now, the idea is that God speaks and he declares and decrees things to happen. The problem is we are not God. And the issue is, if we think somehow that we can declare 
and decree something to happen, that puts us on the wrong side of prayer. That puts us on God's side of prayer when we're supposed to be on the other side of prayer. And the idea is almost like some type of spiritual hocus pocus and prayers are not formulaic declarations to get something or to manipulate God. Prayer is submission to and dependence on the will of God. There is no way that you can force God or you can manipulate God to do anything or to get what you want. Instead, we must trust in the Heavenly Father who knows exactly what we need even before we ask for it. And now you say, well, why do we pray then if God knows what we need even before we ask it? And that's what the scripture says. We pray because that's how God designed us to commune with him. It's his idea. Prayer is his concept. And that's how he designed us to relate to him. And petitions can be powerful. Social media has changed a lot and it relates to uh, a lot of people making their views and petitions known, some for good and some not for good. And there is the infamous change.org organization that is the world's largest petition platform. They said that last year, 115 million users came to the platform from the United States alone. They created 792,000 petitions and gathered 464 million signatures. And a lot of the petitions were successful. Now, it's a good thing if we believe in freedom of speech to be able to make our thoughts known and our ideas known in the world and in the marketplace. But we've got a far greater opportunity, and that far greater opportunity is to bring unlimited petitions to God in prayer. And a prayer of petition can be for a broad range of needs. When we ask God for something, there's no guarantee that the answer will be what we have asked. But in declaring our needs to God, we are communicating to God what our concerns are. So we're praying for self, we're praying for family, we're praying for friends, we're praying for our church, the world, the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I think even the Lord's prayer that Jesus gave us gives us some insight into this. Remember Jesus said, when you pray, not if you pray. We pray without ceasing. We pray for the holy presence of God to be a reality in our lives. And that's why Jesus taught us to open the Lord's prayer with our Father uh, who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. We pray for uh, the kingdom of God to be a reality in our lives and in the world. Jesus said, pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for the forgiveness of our sins, where Jesus said, we're to pray and say uh, to the Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, where we're to live a repentant life. You understand that repentance is not just for day one of your Christian life when you put your faith in Jesus. That a repentant life is ongoing as we seek to be sanctified and to grow to be more like Jesus. And then we pray for provision for our needs. Give us this day our daily bread, whether they be physical or financial or family. And finally, we pray for protection. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. D.L. Moody said, spread out your petition before God and then say, thy will, not mine, be done. He said, the sweetest lesson I've learned in God's school is to let the Lord choose for me. 
Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. There ought to be a fervent spirit to our prayers, a holy sense of desperation for God to act on our behalf. And I think part of our issue sometimes is that we get the results in prayer that we deserve because we prayed half-heartedly or we prayed without faith or we prayed without focus. And then we wonder why the answer is or the lack of the answer is what it is. It's because we didn't even come to God even acting like we believed what we were praying for or that we even thought he had the power to bring it about. So when we come to God, we do so and we communicate in declaring our needs specifically and in a focused way. And I'd encourage you as you declare those needs to keep a prayer list as well as part of your devotional life. Just take a, take a journal, take a notebook, take something, take a piece of paper and write down those prayer requests that you're offering up to God. And then when God answers those prayer requests, go back and thank him for what he's done. That's a powerful reminder that God is present with you and that he cares about your needs. And then the third aspect is that devotion to prayer is evidenced by dedication. A deep sense of need causes you to consider what God can do through your dedication in prayer. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. This seems very basic. It seems very easy. But if it was, everybody would be prayer warriors. And they're not. Yet we've been given direction on how to pray. And God wants you to be dedicated in your prayer life. You say, what does dedication call for? According to Colossians 4 and verse 2, it calls for a holy alertness where you have an alert mind and a thankful heart. You remember when Jesus took those disciples to the garden to pray, he left them and he went a little bit further into the garden and he prayed. And he came back and found them sleeping. And he chastised them and he said, could you not watch with me even one hour? I wonder how many times God has looked at our prayers or lack thereof. And Jesus has said, could you not just watch with me one hour? This dedication to God requires an alertness and it requires a focus. You are pouring your time and your attention and your strength into it. And you've got to eliminate the distractions to be able to do that. And when you do that, dedication calls for consistency. So when we talk about praying, we talk about a daily devotion. Why do we talk about a daily devotion? Because it should be daily. We talk about praying without ceasing. That's a spirit and attitude of prayer where we're continually coming before the Father with our needs and, and we're in tune with what the Spirit is doing in our lives. And it has to become a holy and a healthy habit where it just comes natural to us spiritually, where we're breathing prayers because that's what's on our hearts, that's what's on our minds. And there's an example near the end of Colossians of, an, of a man who was dedicated to prayer. His name is Epaphras, and we listen now to how Paul describes him in Colossians 4 and verse 12 and 13. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ, sends you his greetings. Now listen to what he writes here, Paul does. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. And then he says this, I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also for the believers in Laodicea and Heropolis. So this is a picture of a man who took it upon himself 
to be a praying person and to lift up the believers and to lift up the mission of God to the throne of God. And would any of us be described in that way? If someone were to take the, just to say the top three or four characteristics of our lives, would one of those even appear on the list as prayer, as a person who's devoted to it, who prays earnestly? That's what we need. We, we need a, a spiritual focus and we need a spiritual alertness and we need a spiritual consistency that causes us to pray earnestly. Now, clearly when the Bible says pray without ceasing, it doesn't mean that we're in a posture of head bowed, eyes closed perpetually, but rather it means an attitude of awareness toward God and our surrender to him. And we're doing so recognizing that God is with us continually. I want you to just pause for a moment and think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, God is with you. God is for you. He cares about you and he hears you. What greater blessing could we have than the God of all glory would have all of those things as a reality in our lives. And we pray without ceasing because we know God is with us continually and our dedication is evidence in our devotion to prayer. And then the fourth and final aspect is devotion to prayer is developed through determination. Now, this is a term that we don't use very often, but have you heard the phrase importune prayer? I-M-P-O-R-T-U-N-E prayer. It's not a common word that we would use, but it means urgent persistence. Persistence in prayer is taught in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 3 is in the context of a person trying to free himself from a foolish vow or, or a commitment that he's made. And the scripture says, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you've come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself. And listen to this, importune your neighbor. Other translations use the phrasing, plead urgently, or to press your plea, or even to beg. Now, why would importune prayer be something that is encouraged in the scripture? Why would it not be that immediately when you or I pray and we lift up a concern to God, the healer says, yes, I'm going to do that. No, you're not getting it. Not going to happen immediately. Right there in the moment or wait. It's going to be a little bit longer. Why does he not do that? Because he is growing us and it requires humility to pray to him with uh, importunity and a recognition that there is no way that we can help ourselves. We need God desperately. And I think of the situation that Jesus presented in Luke chapter 11. He said, suppose a man goes to a friend's house at night and he asks for some loaves of bread to feed an unexpected guest. The friend refuses, saying his family is asleep, he doesn't want to wake them up, but the man is determined. And because he's determined, he keeps on knocking. And Jesus says to him in verse 8, Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So he said, listen, just because the man was his friend and he's at his door and he's knocking and he's asking for bread, that's not the reason that the man answered and, and helped him with his need. He helped him with his need because he would not stop asking. And it should be the same with us that there is an importunity about our prayers, that we are determined in our prayers. Luke chapter 18 also teaches this 
idea. There's a widow who shamelessly begged a wicked judge to relent and give her justice. The widow would not take no for an answer and kept persisting upon the judge and asking him for what she needed. The judge concluded that because the widow kept bothering him, he would see that she got justice. And God is not a corrupt judge who refuses to give justice. God is a righteous judge and he will act and he will act in his time. And so we are determined. And I believe that prayer that is persistent prayer will pay off in our relationship with God and in life because we grow to be more like Jesus as well as we get answers to our prayers. Think about some areas of life where people have been incredibly persistent and most of us would have given up and and not continued on. I think about uh, Tim Ferriss who wrote the New York Times bestselling book, The 4-Hour Workweek. They said that he sent that manuscript uh, to publishers 25 times before he got a yes that they would publish it. Or what about Thomas Edison who it took uh, over a thousand attempts to perfect the light bulb? Or what about Dr. Seuss's book that was rejected by uh, 27 publishers before it was accepted? Or what about Ray Kroc, who was 50 years old and a struggling milkshake salesman, and he meets up with some brothers who are behind McDonald's and eventually convinces them of a franchise model? Uh, Today, because of that man being persistent to these people that started it, they hire around a million workers a year in the United States. And their revenue is somewhere between 20 and $25 billion a year. All because of the persistence of one man. If you are determined in prayer, you will keep going, you will keep striving, and you will keep believing. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe there's something that you've laid before the throne of God daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, for years, year in and year out. You've not yet gotten the answer that you're seeking. It could be because of a wayward child that you're praying for. It could be some big need or burden in your family. Or it might be some stronghold that you're trying to break in your life. And somehow you've not yet gotten that answer. My encouragement to you is keep on. Keep moving forward. Keep pleading with God. Bring it to him because God's up to something. He's up to something. He's working in your life. And you'll see the outcome, if not on this side of eternity, eventually in his presence. And devotion to prayer is developed through determination. Now look at this quote from Ambrose of Milan. And I close with this, and we're going to have a time of concluding prayer. He says, prayer is the wing wherewith the soul flies to heaven, and meditation the eye wherewith we see God. Church, may our collective attitude be like that of the disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we come toward a time of prayer. As our heads are bowed and we're preparing for the conclusion of this service, I want to come back to the question that I asked at the outset today. How is your prayer life before God? What is the nature of your relationship with Him? And are you practicing prayer as a regular part of your devotion and walk with Him? It could be because you don't know Jesus that you're not praying. 
you've never come in repentance and faith and accepted the good news about Jesus. That's the starting point because that's where the Spirit of God comes and indwells you. He helps you pray when you don't even know how to pray. And the Lord Jesus intervenes and intercedes on your behalf continually. If you don't know Christ, today would be a good day to meet him and say, I want my life to be changed forever and I'm trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for my forgiveness and for my eternal life. But if you're a Christian and you know in your heart of hearts spiritually that you're not where you need to be in your prayer life, you might have been at one time, but maybe now it's a little bit stagnant or you're feeling lukewarm or apathetic, you've got to start somewhere. And the starting point would be, a good starting point would be, Lord, help me in my prayer life. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to be a fake Christian. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be without power. I want to know how to pray. I want to be a praying person. And the Lord will help you. You might just start out by praying the Lord's Prayer every day and praying parts of that back to the Lord as you're asking Him to do those various things. You might start in the Psalms and pray Scripture back to God. You might take the acrostic of Acts and work your way through that in a time of devotion. That's the foundation of your Christian life. And friend, you will not grow unless you take that step to walk with God. That's where He wants you to be. The Christian life is about life with God. And that's what we want to encourage you in by His grace. Father, thank you that we have this great privilege to pray. I'm so thankful for the prayer warriors among us who take this seriously. We feel their prayers. We experience the blessings of them, uh, both individually and collectively as the church. And God, we want to be in a place where our faith is growing, our dependence is deepening, our persistence in prayer is continuing, and that we collectively and individually would be described as a people of prayer. Those are, a, those are praying people who believe what the Word teaches. So help us to be like that early church in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 who devoted themselves to the prayers. And may that be a reality in our lives. And may you encourage us as we see the answers and see your constant care for us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing all to Jesus.